This is from Hebrews 13, 1 to 2, if you want to get your Bibles out or follow on the screen. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Oh, Father God, we just thank you for your precious, precious word to us today, and it is true to us as it was 2,000 years ago. And so, Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to see glorious things in your word today, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to take a seat. I just want to go to um, the next slide, Matt. Um, Thank you. Uh, When I was in my early 20s, I went on this uh, DTS with an outfit called YWAM, uh, Youth with a Mission. And uh, we were based in Spain, and for part of our mission, we went to um, Morocco. Uh, and that was really, really eye-opening for me. I'd never been in kind of like a, that kind of world. I've always been in just Western countries, and I was like, wow, it was, it was quite amazing. But the thing that really struck me about that trip and when I went into that sort of um, place was every place we went, there were people who would bump into, like strangers, just Moroccans, and they would be inviting us back to their home for dinner. And, um, and one of those family was, you know, and most of the time we're like, oh, you know, we're all good, we're all good. But this one family was very persistent. And they're like, no, you must come, you must come. And so they invited all of us. There must have been like 15 or 20 young adults and leaders and stuff to their home. They lived in this little small apartment. And they put on this massive feed for us. And they didn't know us at all. And I was just so struck by that. Like, wow, that is so amazing, eh? And do you know the reason why they do that is because that is a very deep part of their culture. In, in Arabic culture, and even in, in Islam and as a faith, that is a practice that they do. And it's something that they, when they see foreigners and strangers and other people and neighbours and stuff, they invite people into their home because it's, it's, it's core to who they are. And actually, this is, this is actually a, in a bit like the same way with fasting. This is actually something that was a core practice and still is in many parts of the world of Christianity. It's just been really lost in the West. You know, the word hospitality, we get the word hospital from, we get the word hospice from, we get the word hostel from. The, the, these are words of care and compassion that come from this root word of hospitality. And Christians were at the forefront of all those things across the ages. The first hospitals were designed by Christians. The the first kind of hostels were run by monasteries where people would come and stay because it was dangerous to travel between places and stuff. And even, obviously, hospice care came and, you know, that word comes from that. So this is core to our faith and our practices. But a bit, like I said, a bit like fasting, it's kind of been a little bit lost in the last couple hundred years. And so what we're doing in this series and what we're talking about these practices of Jesus, we're, we're returning to this ancient practices that the Christians have always done because they're so amazing for changing our lives and for the kingdom. Amen? So what is hospitality? Next slide, Matt. I say that because I think sometimes when we think about the word hospitality, probably what comes into your mind is something like the hospitality industry. Um, which is restaurants and um, service and cafes and things like that. And, and yeah, that is kind of a use of the word, but that's more kind of like an um, sort of entertainment or going somewhere to get services, goods and services, which you pay for, um, so you get a service. But the actual 
real word in, in Greek is this word, go to the next page, Matt. Philoxenia. Now, philoxenia is made up of two different words. The first word is philos, which is the Greeks had lots of different words for love. And this is a word which means like platonic love or brotherly love. And then the other word is xenos, which means stranger or foreigner. Um, basically, it's, it's kind of like love of the stranger or love of the foreigner. And it's, this word is like in complete opposite to the word many of us might know, which is called xenophobia which is fear of strangers or fear of foreigners. This is the opposite. It's the love of strangers, the love of outcasts, people who are different. And it's, uh, there's a city, I mean, there's a city in America, many of you might know this, the city of Philadelphia, you know, Rocky, you know. It's, it's known as the city of brotherly love because of that Philadelphia. Like, it's, this is the idea here. It's the love of the stranger, the outcast. And... Um, and the Māori word which for hospitality is manakitanga, which is, a, um, is kindness, generosity, support, the process of showing respect, generosity, and care for others. There's lots of great definitions um, of hospitality, but I, I like this one from John Mark Comer. Do you want to go ahead, Matt? Next slide. Keep going. Keep going. Demonstrating the welcome heart of the Father to all through tangible acts of love, such as providing food, shelter, and relationship. Isn't that beautiful? And I've, I've highlighted in there that tangible acts of love. It's, 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 it's a doing thing. It's, it's, it's a heart posture, but it's done through actions of providing food, shelter, and relationship. And a good way to think about hospitality is actually defining it by it, what it is not. It is not entertainment. Can you go back a slide, Matt? This is from Rosaria Butterfield. Entertainment is about impressing people and keeping them at arm's length. Hospitality is about inviting up your, opening up your heart and your home just as you are, I love that, and being willing to invite Jesus into the conversation, not to stop the conversation, but to deepen it. It's a heart posture towards the outsider. And uh, I, I grew up in a, in a Christian home, and my, my parents were actually very good at this. Um, I, I'm an introvert, so I didn't really like this as a teenager. Um, but I remember always lots of different people in my home on Sundays, um, and, and even on Christmas Day, and I used to be like, oh, man, that random person's here today. Can't I just have one day off, mum and dad? But I, as I reflected now as an adult and as a pastor, I'm like, oh, well, they were showing the love to other people who were not, you know, who had no home, had no family, had no connection on Christmas Day. They were opening up their home on the, you know, most beautiful day where we celebrate family and, you know, Jesus's arrival and stuff. And they were modeling this to me and at the time, I did not appreciate it, <laughs> but I can really see the value in it now. Um, I, still, I still have to challenge myself in this because I am an introvert. I've thought about this in, in regards to the practices that uh, the you know, community and hospitality, are, if you're an introvert, are probably the ones you're going to struggle with the most, right? Because your natural inclination is to 
get me out of here. Get me, I want to be alone with a book. I want to go away. So you're probably going to be like solitude. I'm all over that. Yeah. Being quiet with God, having a nice coffee somewhere. Yeah, that's all me. But it's like in reverse for those people too. Like it's, and, and if we're going to model the life of Jesus, this is what he did. He had a rhythm of going away to be with the Father in solitude, and then he came back, and he was in community and doing hospitality with others. And so I feel like if you're an introvert, the challenge is to step out into community and into hospitality. And if you're an extrovert, probably your challenge is going to be to, to do solitude, which you probably think is hell to be alone on your own with your thoughts in a room. You're like, get me some people around me. I cannot stand to be in this head on my own. So it's, that's, I feel like these practices really challenge us and, and it's good to lean into stuff that you're not comfortable with or you're not naturally flowing with. Okay, so that's what hospitality is, but why is it important? You know, why should we practice hospitality as Christians? Do you want to go to the next slide, Matt, and then keep going? Next slide. Yep, cool. Okay, next, go to the next one, Matt. The first reason is because, you know, God has shown us incredible hospitality, right? God calls us to this kind of love because it's the way he loved us. It says in the scripture, we love because he first loved us. As Christians, we often see ourselves as the insiders. Like we read the scripture like we're part of the story kind of thing, like with the Israelites and stuff. And yeah, it's true. Like Paul says, we've been grafted into the tree, like we're part of this big family of God. But we forget that we were at one time outsiders and that we've been brought into this family. Paul makes this point in Ephesians. Do you want to go? Oh, next slide, Matt. Remember that at, at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in this world. We, all of us before we met Jesus, were outsiders. But God in his incredible love has embraced us all into the family of God through his son, Jesus Christ, through the cross and through the resurrection. So we all get to be part of this incredible hospitality of God. And we see this heart of God commanding the Israelites to care for and look after foreigners. Um, next slide. This is Leviticus 19, verse 33 to 34. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. See, the Israelites spent 400 years in slavery as foreigners, as outsiders in another society. God delivered them, which is a beautiful picture of salvation, out of that bondage and slavery to take them to the promised land. And he, and he was reminding them, you're, you're the people of God, but don't forget that you were the outcasts, you were the foreigners, and I saved and delivered you, and I want you to embody that same love and compassion towards the foreigners and the, and, and the strangers and the outcasts that will be in your land. Like This is the heart of God right through Scripture, is that He is a God of embrace of others. Christine Pohl sums us up when she says, uh, next slide, 
A life of hospitality begins in worship with a recognition of God's grace and generosity. Hospitality is not first a duty and responsibility. It is first a response of love and gratitude for God's love and welcome to us. So, so guys, this, this, we do this because God loves us. We do this because we're responding to the incredible love and hospitality that we have all received. And it's like, when you, when you really get that deep in your heart, you're like, why wouldn't you want to open your heart to others? Why wouldn't you want to open your heart to strangers and people who are lonely and, and outcasts in our society? Like, this is the heart of God, and we want to be more like Jesus, right? The second reason we should practice hospitality is, is that this is what Jesus did. Next slide, Matt. Is Jesus having a party on the Chosen at the, at the wedding at Cana? I love that picture. As apprentices of Jesus, we want to do what he did because we want to become like him. We won't be him, but we want to become like him as we spend more time with him. Jesus modeled a life of inclusion and hospitality to others, particularly to people who are on the margins of society, the broken, the needy, the outcast. Joshua Jip defined Jesus' ministry in this way. Next slide, Matt. This divine hospitality comes to us in the person of Jesus, the divine host, who extends God's hospitality to sinners, outcasts, and strangers, and thereby draws them and us into friendship with God. God's embrace of humanity into friendship with him is the ultimate form of welcoming the stranger. I love that, divine hospitality. Like, that's what Jesus embodied when he came and lived amongst us. He embodied divine hospitality from God. It was also Jesus' primary method of evangelism, mission. In the Gospels, we see three kind of son of man statements. Um, Next slide, Matt. In Mark 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Luke 19, 10, he says, For the Son of Man... Man came to seek and save the lost. All wonderful, awesome parts of Jesus' mission and, and, and what he was doing when he was here on earth. Um, but there's this interesting one in, in, um, in, in Luke 7.34. Go to the next slide, Matt. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. Amen? <laughs> See, the first two were about his mission objectives. But the third was about how he actually did it. Like, it was the method, the way that Jesus embodied that mission was through eating and drinking. He was eating and drinking so much so that other people accused him of being a drunkard and a glutton. Now, I'm not saying Jesus was those things, but people must have made that assumption looking at him having parties, eating and drinking with others, right? Like, they must have made that assumption going, like, you, we see you having these parties, we see you, you know, having a good time with all these people and sinners and outcasts and stuff, you must be a drunkard and glutton like them, because we see you having so much fun and joy, like, what's going on here? And so he got this reputation, because that was the method of how he, he embodied and lived out the mission with other people. This scholar Robert Karras says about Luke's Gospel... In Leet's Gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming to a meal. 
Look at this. This is in Luke's gospel. All the stories of Jesus eating with people. In Luke 5, Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners at the home of a Levi. Luke 7, Jesus is anointed at the home of Simon the Pharisee during a meal. At Luke 9, Jesus feeds the 5,000. In Luke 10, Jesus eats in the home of Martha and Mary. In Luke 11, Jesus condemns the Pharisees and teachers of the law at a meal. In Luke 14, Jesus is at a meal when he urges people to invite the poor to their meals rather than their friends. In Luke 19, Jesus invites himself to dinner with Zacchaeus. In Luke 22, we have the account of the Last Supper. In Luke 24, the risen Christ has a meal with two disciples in Emmaus and then later eats fish with the disciples in Jerusalem after the resurrection. So we can see that this is just so central to Jesus' ministry. Even in Luke 15, which has these three wonderful stories of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the prodigal son, those three stories Jesus tells in response to the Pharisees saying about him, look, he's eating with sinners and outcasts. And Jesus then, you know, as he does, he rocks into a couple of stories to really put them to, to, you know, to, put them to their task sort of thing. And he, and he launches into those three stories based on them basically saying, look, look at your, the way you do mission. So we can see that this is central to Jesus' ministry and how he connected to others. The third reason why hospitality is important, it breaks down walls and builds bridges to Jesus. Has anyone here, um, maybe hands up, ever been to a porphyry? Awesome. That's, that's, that's awesome. Um, was that to a marae? Keep your hands up. Yep. Some people have had them at workplaces and other schools and other things. Um, but when you're at a, at a porphyry, um, it's a, it's a, if you don't know what this is, it's a welcome onto a marae normally. And there's the people, uh, you've got your visitors, the manuhiri, they come up through like the sort of front gate area and then they're welcomed on by the tangata whenua of that area and they sort of call them on and then there's a series of protocol and speeches. There's a whole um, sort of way that this is done. But at the end of all that, once all the speeches and waiata and everything's been done, um, everyone kind of hongies and you know shakes hands or anything like that, and so it's sort of like there's a coming together of the two parties, and it, and this process ends with 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 food. It ends with food and a drink, and the reason for that is because um, the the visitors are viewed as tapu, um, sacred or set apart, and the the porphyry is viewed as a process of removing that tapu and making everyone nor, which means equal. So the sharing of the food and having a cup of tea at the end is actually the final act of that process and therefore makes everyone kind of noah, like equal, like we're all now part of the family. And uh, I just thought that was a beautiful picture of what we're doing when we're inviting people into our homes or into our lives, is that we're, we're someone who was a visitor or, or a stranger or, or outcast or someone who was a neighbour or something, they're becoming p- part of the family. They're coming into your space and you're, and you're doing it through often through meals. Meals are so critical to this. Go to the next slide, Matthew. Keep going. At the Kai Hall. Keep going. This is from Tim Chester in a beautiful book called A Meal with Jesus. Hospitality involves welcoming, creating space, listening, pay attention, and providing. Meals slow things down. Some of us don't like that. 
we like to get things done, right? That's the Western model. But meals force you, and I love this line, force you to be people-orientated instead of task-orientated. Sharing a meal is not the only way to build relationships, but it's the number one on the list. It's possible to remain at a distance with someone in a public gathering, even in a Bible study. Meals bring you close. You see people in situ as they are. You connect and communicate. And uh, it's been my experience, I don't know if this has been yours, but it's, it's kind of hard to argue with someone if you're eating together. There's a practical aspect to that because you're probably going to choke because you've got food in your mouth. <laughs> but I think there's a, there's a spiritual and emotional aspect to that, that there's something about eating together and having a drink together that sort of brings you on that same kind of level. Like we're all humans, we've all got to eat. <laughs> we've got to do these certain things and it's like, the differences start falling down when we, we're sharing these things that we say, oh, okay, this is, this is part of being human, and, 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 it, and it helps to see people in a different light. And that's why I think that's why Jesus used meals, because they're so critical to breaking down um, barriers and building bridges to himself. And these shared spaces where we eat and drink together are places of transformation, kingdom portals where we can encounter Jesus I read a, a, a fantastic book um, by a lady called Rosaria Butterfield, um, and it's called Practicing Radical, uh, Rad- Radically Ordinary Hospitality. I love that, ordinary hospitality, in our post-Christian world. And Rosaria was a, um, she was a, 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 a lecturer in New York. Um, she was not a Christian. She was a lesbian. Uh, she was actually doing a, a paper, basically, on why Christians are the worst. And she criticized this thing about, um, uh, there was a Promise Keepers conference going on at the time. If you're not familiar with that, it used to be like a men's movement, a uh, Christian men's movement back in the day. And she, there had been an event, must have been in New York, and she criticized that in, a, in an editorial in a paper, like, basically, like, this is the worst. It represents all the worst about what's wrong with Christianity in the world. And there was a, there was a, Presbyterian minister, this guy called Ken, and he actually responded to her article. Um, he disagreed with her, but in such a very gentle and lovely way, and he actually invited her, would you come over to my house and have a meal? I'd love to discuss this further. Come over to my house with my wife, Flo and I, and we'll love to talk with you. And so she actually ended up going over there. Um, she originally went because she was like, great, this will give me opportunity to do some deep dive research on the Christians right at the coalface, you know. She's going to use it in her paper and everything. But what happened over two years, and, th- and I emphasize this, over two years, this is not instant, some of this stuff, she would continue to come and have meals, discussions, and debates with Ken and his wife, Flo. And she writes this about the experience of Christian hospitality. Ken's Christian community gathered at his house at all hours. I learned this because he invited me in. For two years, I was loved and welcomed by a Christian community that I mocked, despised, and rejected. I accepted them when it worked for me, and I rejected them all the other times. There is simply no way I would have walked into a church if I hadn't had a genuine friendship with the man behind the pulpit. For two years, I was part of Ken and Flo Smith's ministry. I met with them once a week at their home. The door was wide open. People always in and out of the house, people from the church and people not from the church. Heated, genuine conversation would happen. People would speak honestly and tears would flow. But it was different because Ken would open the Bible and sing from the Psalter and then he would pray. 
It was so disarming, I couldn't help but go back. It was in the context of hospitality that Ken brought the church to me because it was impossible for me to get to the church without the bridge of somebody's home. So Rosario now is married to a Presbyterian minister. She's got kids, she writes books, um, she's got this whole sort of ministry. But that wouldn't have happened without Ken and Flo's hospitality. And that an incredible story. And we would never know about Ken and Flo. You know, just ordinary Presbyterian pastors in New York. Um, we know about it because of her story of transformation for a simple act of hospitality. And I think sometimes we often have a low view of meals or inviting someone over, like, what difference could that make in someone's life? And I think this story illustrates that it can have a massive kingdom impact and breakthrough. Alan Hirsch writes this. Next slide. Oh, that's Rosario there. So, If every Christian family in the world simply offered good conversational hospitality around a table once a week to neighbours, I love this, we would eat our way into the kingdom of God. Isn't that powerful? And I was thinking about this um, as we were taking communion today. Um, I don't know if many people are with, um, familiar with the word sacrament. Um, some people call communion and baptism, these things, sacraments. And in simple terms, what a sacrament is, is just an ordinary thing, like bread and juice or water for baptism, where God uses to do something incredible something supernatural. And I, I feel like that what, when we do hospitality, we're doing something sacramental. We're having a coffee with someone at a cafe or we're having someone in our home for a meal and we just think nothing of that. A few Domino's pizzas or something, a bit of fish and chips, but that's sacramental. God can use that coffee. He can use those Domino's pizzas. He can use whatever you're having for curry tonight for tea, whatever it is. He can use that as a bridge to build relationship. And it might take a, a number of coffees or good cu- glasses of wine or craft beer, whatever your poison is, I don't know, to, 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 to build that relationship with someone, but God can use that. And I actually, I want to say, like, as a church, like, as far as our evangelism strategy is, um, you guys are it. <laughs> You guys are Kurimaku's evangelism strategy. You know, I'd love to see alpha courses and things like that happen down the track, and we'd love to build towards that. But the primary bridge to people going into those courses is through relationship, right? You have to have some sort of relationship nexus. New Zealand's not a kind of country where you go down the street, grab someone, say, come into church. You have to build relationship with people so they know you, they trust you, that you can invite them for a meal and build relationship and then, and then invite them into a space like Alpha or then invite them into a prayer group or into here on Sunday morning. Um, this Even Sunday morning is such a barrier for people, like Rosaria said. You need those bridges and hospitality is the way it happens, guys. Like this is the, this is the ancient practice of the church. But I, I believe it's the most, it's the, it's the way Jesus did it, and I believe it's the way that we're going to be like building bridges into people's lives. Because all of you are connected to people. And a lot of those people are not Christians, right? And this is the way we can build bridges to bring people. And, and if they don't come to Kurimakal, that's fine. If they come into the kingdom, hallelujah. If they go to another church, awesome. But let's play our part as as kingdom builders to be like building bridges to others, right? And this is the beauty of it. It's so, 
It's easy. This is my kind of evangelism. Like having a coffee with someone or a beer or a bit of food or something, I can do that. But tell me to go hand out some tracks on the street or wear a sandwich board and I'm like, oh, no thanks. <laughs> I, there's some people who are blessed with that and they've got a gift. Yeah, totally. Amen. But this kind of thing I think most people can do. It's, we're all going to eat, right? Like we're three meals a day, you know, snacks and everything. Um, there's millions of opportunities throughout our week to, to do this with our work colleagues, um, with our neighbours, our real actual neighbours and people, neighbours who God puts in our lives. Like, we can do this, guys. And I think this is, this is what Leslie Newbigin said, we must live in the kingdom of God in such a way that it provokes questions for which the gospel is the answer. I'll read that again. We must live in the kingdom of God in such a way that it provokes questions for the gospel is the answer. This is, the, this is really like how Mother Teresa said, you know, preach the gospel at all times, but, you know, and sometimes use words. This is, as, as people see us in our home, and it might be just saying grace or the way we're with our children, they're going to see what is different about these people. What is this peace that they have? What is this joy? What is this love? What is this contentment that they have? I want some of that. Tell me what, what's your story. What's, what's different about you? And, and this is how we, when we do this, it's going to provoke those questions in people's lives, right? Awesome. And that happens, like I said, over another meal, another glass of wine, another coffee with others, listening, connecting, looking for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So as I close, how do we practice hospitality? Where do we start? First thing I want to say is, is do it with the right heart. In 1 Peter 4.9 it says, it says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And it's, I think it's the same thing that Paul's talking about with, like, give with a generous heart. You know, like, do this because you really want to. Like, God's, you've had an experience of God's love and grace and mercy. And, like, do this because you want to bless others. You want to be like Jesus. Like, that is the heart posture. Don't do this because, oh, Nick said I had to. Do it because you want to do it, you know. Like, this is on your heart. Like, you've got a passion to see your neighbours your friends, your colleagues, people saved, brought into the beautiful kingdom, enjoying Jesus with us. The second thing is pray. I think so often we, we don't pray about even the little things like about inviting someone over for a meal. Like pray and ask God, even today, ask your God, Lord, is there someone this week that I could sidle up to at work? Like I was even thinking about when I used to work in an office and you rush to the to the tea room or something and you get yourself a coffee like maybe you, you get someone else a coffee and just give it to them just a small act of hospitality and kindness um or someone you know like you know shout them a coffee or um go have lunch you know sort of thing like just show these acts of hospitality and people who are not just your friends or the people you just naturally connect with but maybe the people who are a bit lonely in the office or who don't seem to have any connection um, same with our physical neighbours, like maybe try and get to know your neighbours, like know what their names are and a little bit about their lives. Um, look for opportunities and keep praying to God, like, Lord, would you open up opportunities? Pray before, pray during when the people are there, and pray after that God would continue to open up their hearts, soften their hearts to the gospel and to him, and just keep doing that. Start small. Be intentional. Um, 
I, I, I don't know if any of you have experienced this, um, and I'm guilty of it just as much as the next person, where you see something, you're like, oh, we've got to get together, we've got to get together, yeah, 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 no, we've got to do, and then you never do. Like, you've got to be intentional, you've got to be like, like, let's set a date and a time, let's do this. I, I love how when Jesus was Zacchaeus, when he's up in the tree, and, he, and Jesus is just like, I'm coming to your house now. Like, he's being intentional. Let's, let's break bread together. Let's do life together now. He's intentional. Let's be intentional. Let's not just say, oh, yeah, yeah we've got to get you over. We've got to do this. Actually, schedule it in. Do it. Make it a part of your normal rhythms. And I think the other thing is, is, just, is, is, is also just start a simple way you can start, because I know it is a bit daunting, like sort of going to people you don't know or your neighbours. Let's just start with one another. If you look to your left and your right this morning, you're going to see your brothers and sisters in the Lord, and there's some that are away today. Let's invite each other over into our homes. Start there, you know. Get used to the practice of of hospitality. And can I just say, um, it doesn't have to be fancy. Remember I said the thing about entertainment. Entertainment is about performance. So it's like coming up someone over your house and you're going to have that house so super clean. It's always like this, you know, it's super clean. And, and uh, you've got the dishes in the oven or something, you know, like everything. And, or that room. Does everyone have that room where it all goes, like the washing? and, and that, That's about performance, like giving people a, a Facebook idea of your house or something. Like, this is what it's always like. <laughs> but, but hospitality is actually about creating space for people to come in and see you in real life. And, you know, I was thinking about this performance is you've got to put on this massive meal for people, it's got to be gourmet. Hospitality could be you're, you're providing a space, you're putting on some food maybe, it doesn't matter what it is, you're just providing something, and they might be bringing food as well, and you're putting your food together. We often had these whānau kai groups we used to run, and, think, and I used to love it because it was just like this potluck of lots of different food you could have, you know, in our home, it's like, that's, that's cool. And then same with cleaning up, like, because sometimes it's daunting to have a whole lot of people over your house and the pile of dishes and stuff, it's like, let people help clean up. If they're offering to help clean up, like, let's do this as family, like, let's clean up together. It doesn't have to be this big daunting thing. And same, if, if you can't use your home, you know, I know it's winter, but, you know, like, normally in summer you can meet in parks, you can down at the beach, um, you can go lots of different spaces, you can even stay here after church and have some food. Like, there's lots of ways we can do this that doesn't have to be this big, massive barrier. And I think we just got to think, we want to be like Jesus. We just want to do life with each other, and we want to do life with others and build from there. Is that good? Awesome. Why don't we stand? I'm just going to finish with this from Rosaria Butterfield's beautiful book, and then I'm just going to pray over you guys. Radically ordinary hospitality... Those who live it see strangers as neighbours and neighbours as family of God. They recall at reducing a person to a category or label. They see God's image reflected in the eyes of every human being on earth. Those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs at all, but as God's gift to use for the fervence of the kingdom. They open doors. They seek out the underprivileged. They know that the gospel comes with a house key.